Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of NASCAR Radio. This is episode 31. I'm your pal Val, and with me is the great Jason. Sir, how are you? I'm doing well, Val. How are you? I'm doing great. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. I guess it's good to have uh, 2020 behind us. But we got a great show today. We're going to talk about recapping the 2020 season, our winners, people who are making some moves at the cup level, as well as we had a survey, or I had a survey out on Twitter and the Nuts Facebook group about the best mid-level Panini product between Chronicles and Prism, and I was very uh, surprised by the results. Um, We're going to talk about some of the realized prices for e- on eBay um, for NAS- vintage NASCAR trading cards. Uh, and then we're going to cap it off with uh, one of our older episodes recapped in the 1983 Uno set and the 1985 Sports Star Photographic set that we covered. So, well, let's get into it. Um, man, what... Uh, what a great ending to the season. Uh, I know we haven't recorded in quite a while. Uh, I had a lot of crazy things happening, or I should say a lot of really busy stuff um, personal life. Uh, I know you did as well, Jason. So um, it's great to be back. I'm super excited for 2021. Um, but the 2020 season, you know, that those last uh, that last race, that uh, – the championship weekend there in Phoenix. But just to recap, the Arkham Menard Series champion for 2020 was Britt Holmes. Uh, he's actually in the 2020 Chronicles and 2020 Prism. Uh, and, and for those who don't remember, the 2019 was Christian Eckes and 2018 was Sheldon Creed. The Trek Series is you know probably more of the one people are familiar with. 2020 um, Sheldon Creed won. Uh, and which I just mentioned as the ARCA champion uh, winning the 2020 Gander RV and Outdoors Truck Series champion. So he has no cards, which I thought was interesting. But uh, the 2019 Truck Series winner was Matt Crafton, and the 2018 was Brett Moffitt. Uh, moving over to the Xfinity Series, the 2020 champion was Austin Sendrick. He's got cards in 2018, and we talked about him. He won uh, quite a few races, I believe, last year. Uh, and the 2018 and 19 winner was Tyler Reddick, who uh, we've talked about before. And then in the NASCAR Cup Series, the 2020 champ was Chase Elliott. Um, and he's got cards in 2011. And that was an awesome finish to the race. I don't know, Jason, if you got to see it or not. Uh, yeah, definitely, but, you know, it's one of those things where I remember things for, like, a day, so, <laughs> so <laughs> but it feels like forever ago. <laughs> yeah, and it was, but uh, the thing that sticks out in my mind was uh, Jimmy Johnson and Chase Elliott, I guess it was like a handshake or, or that kind of thing, and it made me think of kind of the passing of the torch. Um, it, it was really cool, and to see Bill there and, and Chase's mom, um, and you can just kind of see he, he was the most popular driver in NASCAR Cup Series. 
I think we talked about it before. Um, the winner for the last, I don't know, 20 years or whatever it was, is always it's either been an Elliott or an Earnhardt. So it's awesome that you know, he had won, and his cars have definitely seen a boost now. So, But the 2019 champ was uh, Kyle Busch, for those who don't remember, and that was his second championship, and 2018 was Joey Logano. So, so I've definitely seen... Some of the, well, uh, we were talking just before coming on about the 2011 element. That's one of my favorite uh, sets and for wax as well. And, you know, ran sales for Black Friday. You can get that for different prices or $29 a box or $39 a box years ago. But um, I had bought some, I guess it was over summer 49, but now they're about $75 a box. And that's, for those who remember, you can get that undiscovered element autograph. He's he's one of those. You can get the blue or the red, number to 25. I think the blue is in uh, number to 225, and then his base card. So uh, the 2011 Element Wax has seen a little bit of movement, and it's got that old stock non-gloss. It's, um, it's kind of a throwback, I guess that's why I liked it so much. But looking ahead to 2021, you know, looking at the Cup Series, the only right now Rookie of the Year candidate is Chase Briscoe. So last year, you know, we had a few rookies going for Rookie of the Year, and uh, so sometimes, you know, you don't get uh, the rookie crop that uh, you get in previous years. But we do have some folks moving around, and for those who that either speculate or are looking for somebody to collect or, or whatever, but folks moving up, Folks moving teams. Uh, Christopher Bell, he's moving over to the number 20 for Joe Gibbs Racing. He was with Levine Racing, but so he's making a kind of a lateral move or moving from the satellite team back to the, the mothership, as you would say. And Bowman, Alex Bowman, uh, he's moving over to the number 48 car from the 88. He's not necessarily changing teams, but he, he's changing numbers. Ross Chastain is moving from the Xfinity to the number 42 for Chip Canassi Racing. He's replacing Kyle Larson, uh, that ride that uh, Matt Kenseth uh, was filling in for. Uh, Ty Dillon, he doesn't really have any plans. He's kind of been replaced, or that team kind of folded that Jermaine Racing. That is the team that the 23XI Racing team purchased. Uh, that's the Denny Hamlin, Michael Jordan team. Uh, Eric Jones is moving over to the 43 for Richard Petty Motorsports, which was vacated by Bubba Wallace. And Bubba Wallace is, like we talked about, was, is over there at the 23XI Racing. Uh, Kyle Larson is back from suspension, and he's going to be driving the number five for Hendrick Motorsports, and that was the formerly the 88 team. Uh, for those who keep a track, that was... Uh, kind of disbanded. Uh, they had the 88. Hendrick had the 88 really just for Dale Earnhardt Jr., which was kind of interesting because he, he was in the 8, and I guess uh, when Hendrick signed Dale Earnhardt Jr., they went to the 88. So it was funny because guys had tattoos of 8 on their shoulders and stuff like that, so they just needed to get another 8 <laughs> added oh, to that tattoo. That. <laughs> yeah. And uh, John Hunter Nemechek, he's moving to the truck series. 
and Daniel Suarez is moving, making a lateral move from the to the number 99 for Trackhouse. That's a new team. So that's kind of a recap. I know it's a lot. Uh, we'll talk about it more when um, as the season gets going. But here it is, the beginning of January, New Year, and all the shops are abuzz to get ready for Daytona, which is the second week in February, which – Side note, I did see that NFL is expanding their season from 16 to 17 games next year. That's going to fall into the Daytona 500 weekend, so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what the ratings are. Um, I know that's not something we normally talk about, but, you know, uh, being a wrestling fan, the NFL ratings were always beating wrestling, so it'll be curious, I'll be curious to see if you know, with a big race and with a week 17 game, week 17, there's always something on the line, you know, so it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. Yeah. We're going to worry about the 2022 season, but, uh, yeah, I'm always curious to see if NASCAR moves that. That schedule won't come out until the fall, I believe, so I'll be curious if they, they move that around or not. So, um, And then 2020 drivers – that are no longer racing or will not race full-time. Clint Boyer, Jimmy Johnson, Matt Kenseth, and John Hunter Niebercheck, which we talked about is going to the Trek Series. So, and the reason I mention those is that if you're, you know, looking at buying cards, you definitely want to buy off-cycle. So the Jimmy Johnson, Matt Kenseth, these guys are destined for the Hall of Fame, definitely. Uh, there might be some opportunity to pick up some of their cards cheap. So uh, it's all usually about... Uh, publicity in, in, in the spotlight. So cause when Jimmy and Matt Kenseth get to the Hall of Fame, there'll be renewed interest, or you never know when all of a sudden somebody gets hot again, um, like we were talking about the Tiger Woods. So. And real quick, the 2021 Xfinity Series, there are no rookie of the year candidates yet. And in the camping world truck series uh, in 2021, Haley Deegan and Chris Wright will be contending for a Rookie of the Year candidate. So I'm super excited, finally, to see uh, her in a truck and four trucks, and we'll see how she does. So it's going to be um, – I think it's going to be pretty cool being able to see her on TV on usually Friday nights is when the trucks run. They don't run every weekend, but they run, I think, at least half of the season. I know they have some big breaks in there, but – and her cars are on fire. So we talk about her all the time. And, you know, forgive me, I'm not the most up-to-date on, you know, lower-tier drivers. But where does Brittany Zamora fall in accordance with Haley Deegan? Like, I see a ton. It's like 10 to 1. I see things about Deegan versus Zamora. So she's racing lower level. In the Arkham Menards West Series, she only ran one race in 2020. And that was race oh, wow. number four. She started 12, finished 13th. That's not necessarily bad. She also raced in the Cars Super Late Model Tour. She ran one of eight races there. She started 24th and finished 11th. And they list her age as 21, so... I'm not 
super familiar with her, but it could be. I think she has she has sponsorship problems, and okay. So you can have be a super talent, but if you don't have the sponsorship for for rides, uh, I don't know why this popped in my head, but like even Chase Elliott, when he was in the lower levels, I think uh, maybe Napa was done with. Michael Waltrip or the Michael Waltrip team had folded and for some reason I remember a story where he, you know, he said he was sitting on his couch, didn't know what he was going to do and Napa came calling and they sponsored him for the Xfinity and you know, off he's running. Right. So not everybody uh, you know, has, a, has the big sponsors lined up. I think Haley has Ford backing her and so she, you know, has that sponsorship there. So I don't think Brittany is not that she's not in talent or not, but I think to your to your answer your question, she's she's looking for sponsorship. I think I follow gotcha. her on Twitter, and I think, um, and they, this is the time between now and Daytona. You know, they're everybody's courting everybody looking for sponsorship. You know, they're they're working on the, the trucks and the cars, hoping that they can get a sponsor to get them to Daytona. Some some of the drivers go, I mean, you hear the stories where they go to Daytona without a sponsor, and they only have enough money to get them that one race, and they have to finish well. Uh, I think Rick Hendrick tells a story about um, needing to win, and I think Dale Earnhardt Sr. drove for him one race or whatever, and that they – did well, might even won the race to get him the money to to continue on with sponsorship. So, so we'll see um, if she can get a sponsor sponsor for twenty twenty one. So, uh, and then recapping, I've told talked about it before. Jayski Jayski dot com J A Y S K I. They have some great information on NASCAR, the different series. The drivers, the driver, and the and what team they're running for. You can use that information to try to find addresses for the team, so you can send in autographs, stuff like that. So, but they had an article about the five highest NASCAR paid drivers for NASCAR, which I thought was interesting. Uh, you usually don't see a lot of information about the money they used to. Uh, publicize how much each position paid for each race, and then a few years ago they they stopped doing that. But Martin Truex, Truex uh, in the number five spot, Martin Truex Jr. comes in at eleven and a half million. You remember he's running for Joe Gibbs, and he he won quite a few races uh, the last couple of years, so as well as the championship. And it says all but one point one million of his eleven point five came from his salary. So, uh, number four is Kevin Harvick, combined earnings of $12.2 million. And most of his earnings, 10.9, come from the salary, with the rest coming from licensing and endorsement deals. Number three, Denny Hamlin, combined $14.6 million and one and a half. The $1.5 million he's earned from licensing and endorsement deals comes mostly from Nike Jordan brand. And, you know, I guess he's got some extra cheddar there to help start a team with Bubba Wallace. So, uh, number two, Jimmy Johnson, 
17.6, and number one is Kyle Busch at 17.8. So I was surprised uh, Chase Elliott was not on here yet, but um, I guess his, his time's coming. And the reason I mentioned that is, you know, you can kind of see the top five drivers that are making the money as well as, you know, they most likely have a huge fan base. So, uh, again, back to collecting, these are probably one of the – some of the guys you might want to look at um, if you're not collecting somebody, some good contender. So, anybody jump off the list for you? So, the one that stood out for me was Truex and it, when it was all but 1.1 of his 11 and a half came from a salary. It stood out to me because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but NASCAR is such such a sponsored <laughs> sport that it made me think, well, 90% came from a salary and only 1.1 came from sponsorships. Is that correct? Yeah. So that kind of struck me. That's the one that stood out to me. Well, I think, so when he came to Joe Gibbs, he's he was with, uh, for the folks that don't remember, he was with Front Row Motorsports, which was a satellite team of Joe Gibbs. And they ended up folding, and he kind of folded into Joe Gibbs. So he was had been a champion um, before that prior year coming over. So I guess he, he signed a good deal, I guess. But, you know, he's, his sponsorship is Bass Pro Shops, so I'm not sure of any other sponsorship deals, but uh, I, definitely, I definitely see the Kevin Harvick commercials with Bush and I guess his Mobile One, uh, him and Clint Boyer, so those are always cute. Well, moving on, uh, recapping 2020, uh, we only had a few releases in 2020 with the Dunruss. We had Prism and Chronicles, and then we had National Treasures. Victory Lane was uh, retired, I guess, and Chronicles filled that spot in 2020. So I was curious what the collecting community thought of Chronicles since it was the first year of Chronicles. And then we had 2020 Prism, which I think – Panini did a really good job with 2020 Prism, added some extra colors and a lot more rookies than I remember. So I ended up putting out two polls, one out on Twitter and one out on Facebook for the Nuts site. And I appreciate everybody who responded to the survey. But the reviews were mixed, and it kind of caught me off guard. So on Twitter... I put the poll out there, and we had 21 votes, and 57% liked 2020 Prism NASCAR better than Chronicles, which uh, which got basically almost 43%. And but on Facebook, on the nuts site, those folks, you know, they're diehard NASCAR folks. It's a great Facebook group as well as the forum. The forum's not used as much anymore, but everybody's kind of moved on to Facebook. But we got about 46 votes on Facebook, and 37 votes were voted for Chronicles as opposed to only nine for Prism. So it seemed like the newer Twitter 
environment like the flashy prism, but Chronicles for the established NASCAR trading card collector, they overwhelmingly chose Chronicles. Um, they said, you know, Chronicles um, by far, uh, Brian Whitshire said, and then Zach Thurmore said, Chronicles choices, Chronicles choices, not even close. So I was kind of surprised at that. I thought, you know, everybody would like to shine me. So, I mean, we all know that you know the history of the sport more than I do. And when we talk about cards, that's where I really jump in. And I've kind of been anxiously awaiting to talk about this because it. I think it does speak volumes as far as the age groups using the social – which which age group is using which social media platform versus which age group is buying which type of card. And, you know, Twitter is definitely a younger crowd, um, and Facebook seems to cater more towards the older, you know, my age, your age, mid-30s, and I know a lot of the younger people were going away from Facebook and doing all the other stuff. So it definitely speaks volumes to who's using what, and it's almost like the stereotypes are true because I think with the Twitter users, a lot of that age group is I want Prism everything, you know, and it and it's the same age group that used to be I love Topps Chrome, you know. So Prism has definitely taken over the collecting world to a degree. And with every sport, I think if you're chasing a rookie card, you're either chasing, you know, the lowest or you're chasing the chrome slash prism. And with what's going on with the card world right now, people are looking for something to buy. And I think that younger crowd is the one that's the flipping and the, you know, the reselling and going to Walmarts and Targets at 5 in the morning waiting in line, they're the ones chasing that prism where the Facebook crowd, you know, we're talking 46 votes, and it's 37 for Chronicles and 9 for NASCAR. Like, that's huge where that Facebook crowd want the Chronicles because they want more opportunities. You know, NASCAR is getting four or five releases a year, and thankfully Chronicles is getting, I don't know what the actual number was, I forget, but say 12, 13 different brands, although they're like mini sets, but when a collector that loves NASCAR is only getting four options a year, and in one set they can get 12 or 13 more, uh, I think it's definitely catering to that collector versus the flipper, and I think the collectors are the more Facebook user-friendly ones. No, that's a great point, Jason. I think that, uh, yeah, that, that kind of explains it. That's, that's a great point. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping... I'm going to cast my vote, and I'm going to say Chronicles as well. You know, we talked at length about this before, and I was such an advocate for Chronicles. And honestly, with the NASCAR one, I wasn't as pleased as I thought I would be. Uh, just with a couple of the sets, I was kind of like, eh, it didn't turn out the way I thought. But I was way happier with Chronicles than I was with Prism. And I know once you do Prism, 
for baseball, football, and basketball, by the time you get to racing, it's like the fourth set that looks exactly the same. You know, so I, I would say Chronicles was my choice for sure uh, for that mid-level product. I guess Panini is, you know, we'll, we'll see if they issue Chronicles again in 2021. I would think they would. Now, somebody who collects Chronicles in the other sports, would I expect to see every one of the subsets again? Or do they, would in the other sports, have they done some brands or done away with some brands in Santa Chronicles? I don't know if I'm asking that right, like the Spectra and the Score? No, I got you. Would, yeah. I'm thinking that it's like a a 90-10. Like, say, let's just say for numbers' sake, they have 10 mini brands or mini sets or whatever you want to call it, and nine of them stay and one of them changes, you know, for whatever reason. Um, but then they also have the new names, like uh, – the spectra, like where that's not something that you see every year anyways. Um, so they kind of trade those in and out. So it's like a 90, 10, 80, 20, uh, where they do some replacements and some switching. And I think for them with Chronicles, cause it's only been a couple of years. I think it's one of the things where they're trying to figure it out and kind of doing some test runs as to, you know, this one was, way better received than, uh, you know, this one, say select versus spectra or the score was in there for racing, you know? So I think for Panini, it's a lot of testing and they know that, Hey, there's 10, 12 brands in here. If we get one wrong, it's not a big deal. There's still nine or 11 more, uh, to pick from. Now the interesting is, like for the score brand, will they go from an 89 to like a 90 or switch over to maybe the 89 baseball uh, design? Or do you have any thoughts on that? I don't know because I would love – I think we talked Kind of like a mini, before. you know, a heritage or what they do in Dunruss. Right. Like, we talked about that before. You know, I would love to see, um, say, a Donruss with that same dull paper stock the way that Topps does Heritage. Don't get me wrong. I love the Donruss now, and I love how they bring in the 87 design and the other 86s. But with it being that glossy, it it doesn't catch the whole essence of what Heritage does for Topps. Um, so I would love to see them do something along those lines and continue. Uh, and I think I definitely think score is the right way to go. I mean, that's your brand that's been there since the 80s. You know, select wasn't. But then at the same time, there were, like, score select, you know. So it was that premium score that wasn't the Chrome version. So anything with that nostalgia, um, I'm on board for. Um, I would rather – I'd like to see them get, you know, a 90 95% grade on the rehashings versus, you know, a 70 75% grade. You know, I'd rather them get a lot closer 
and kind of the way that Tops does. I think Tops pretty much nails it uh, with the design, the the feel, and then even bringing in some of those elements with um, the high number of short prints and stuff like that. You know, granted, we're talking 500 cards versus, you know, 25 or 50, so a lot less room to work with for Panini, but um, especially for NASCAR, I don't see any way that Panini doesn't bring Chronicles back. Um, when you only have four or five releases a year, why would you not um, give collectors, you know, a better opportunity to get more of a variety? Yeah, definitely. I, I, while you were talking, I was thinking I probably need to reach out to Tim over at Panini and see if I can get him on the show and maybe talk about the brands, at least, that we're looking at for 2021. So, Because uh, I'm yeah, assuming sure. it's Dunrust, I'm assuming it's Chronicles, Prism, and I don't know if we get NT again, maybe they go to Prime. But. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed, because I'm one of those that kind of goes to Walmarts, you know, a couple of days a week trying to figure out and find stuff. And a lot of NASCAR Don Russ got released recently and it was all the fat packs. Uh, so it was nice. And it was also nice that a lot of people were leaving it because <laughs> it made it uh, <laughs> easy to get some. That was the one thing that people weren't grabbing. I definitely, I bought 10 packs or so here and there and got a handful of relics because people just weren't touching it, which I'm not complaining about. I did notice the uh, release of the fat packs and only the fat packs. And, yeah, there were some were left right. at my Walmart. Now, I can't remember where the red, the retail wrapper redemption, when that expires, and will the fat pack count towards that? That's a good question. I think if they were, I mean, I don't think if you send them in, I don't think they would decline you. Um, but it's definitely worth a try. So looking at the Rapper Redemption article on the Panini America blog, it was released uh, or it was posted February 19, 2020, and it just says 2020 Donors NASCAR Racing Retail Features Exclusive Rapper Redemption receive a five-card pack of the Red Mojos for every 20 retail wrappers submitted. I don't see anything that retail says, that, yeah, that says 2020 NASCAR racing retail can be found. Um, so I would think that the fat packs qualify. You need 20 of them, and I don't see any type of uh, expiration. So I would think that it would be at least a year. So that would be the February 19th. So... I'm going to have to look at uh, picking some up and see, because I have not submitted any for, I have some, uh, I just didn't have 20 yet, so I'm going to have to see what I need to make 20 and to get at least one of those uh, red mojo packs. Yeah, that's a good point, Jason. Uh, And then uh, uh, some of the folks on Twitter did comment, in the survey, and I definitely want to uh, give them a shout-out that Mickey C. Um, said, man, this is a tough question about the Chronicles or uh, Prism, and I'm not sure which way I would lean, but I think this is a 50-50 split, uh, so it was that close for him. And then uh, Roy G. 
uh, at Bulldog 2189. I really liked the variety of Chronicles. Prism wasn't bad, but didn't scratch the itch like Chronicles does for me. So, And then Logan uh, agreed with that, said, well said. At Ronnie Roger Che1, 2020 Prism is a card chases paradise. Ray... Uh, Ray Tango 84 both are good I like Chronicles for the relics so I didn't expect that but uh, thank you Ray so uh, it sounds like you know the the established nuts folks you know they definitely love the Chronicles and to your point you know some of the folks on uh, Twitter some of the younger kids or that Twitter brand definitely liked Prism just a little bit more not nearly like the split from Facebook, but that was a lot closer. Yeah, that one was, you know, you're talking 21 votes and it's 57 to 42 uh, percentage, so you're probably talking a split of one or two votes. So, yeah, definitely a lot closer than than Facebook and not really surprised. Um, I think if you did a poll on it, you know, maybe now that it's 21, maybe we should put up all four releases and see see how it goes. Uh, oh, I yeah. That would be I thought about that, but usually everybody jumps all over the National Treasure stuff. Um, I I don't think it would happen this year. Okay. <laughs> Not well. from what I've seen. Um, you know, and talk about it if you want, because you said you opened a little bit. I, I don't touch National Treasures. Um, and even if I was on the fence, I don't think this year I would. From everything that I saw in the nuts group, it was a buy singles, not boxes slash packs. You know, whatever you want to call it. Um, it seemed like people did not feel that they were getting their money's worth. And I'm not saying like I got three hundred dollars in cards for a four hundred box. I'm saying like people were thinking I got a hundred dollars in cards for a four hundred dollar box. So. Uh, in my opinion, it seemed like the reviews were negative, um, but, you know, I don't know what expectations were either, so maybe somebody had high expectations and wasn't well-educated in what that type of product was because it, it can be real hit or miss, especially because it's a four-box case, so you can you can get that loaded briefcase or you can uh, really get hosed, you know, every once in a while. So I'll be curious if we do this, poll with all four products I'd, I'd really like to see where it goes yeah I'll, i will put out that poll uh national treasures you know it's a four hundred dollar price point which is a lot of money uh it's it's cheap compared to some of the other sports but still four hundred dollars and i think in that kind of product it's a hit or miss not everyone's going to be you know loaded um i did open two boxes and it has you know booklets in it one booklet was a Ryan Blaney just large patches and the you know it was like numbered out of 25 or something so it was kind of like you know that was the big hit but I didn't think you know it was that big Uh, I'm not even sure why I would it wasn't even like um, they're just two big black patches as opposed to maybe part of a patch or something like that. I did have a, yeah, I did have to have a Dale Earnhardt Jr. auto uh, card in there. 
but the other one had a one-on-one, and I know there's multiple one-on-ones, but it was Jimmy Johnson's name, and maybe it was from his belt. Um, but it was kind of weird where, you know, they have a picture of Jimmy in that box. You have these two boxes, and his name was split, but the J was missing. So it was Hanson, it was Han, and then Son on the second one. Um, oh, yeah. So, but that was, you know, awesome. And, I, you know, that was a um, you know, bigger hit for, you know, somebody like Jimmy Johnson. So uh, National Treasure is definitely, like, a hit or, hit or miss. So I definitely like and I'm more of a base card, you know, guy. I like getting cards, either sending them off to get autographed or, you know, collecting them or um, maybe getting them graded or, or whatever. So, uh, you know, Dunruss is kind of my thing. I really enjoy that. You, you know, it's most cards, bacon sets. The one thing that stuck out me for National Treasure, I think it's a 109-card set, and you got one base card per box. So that, that is a mammoth set. I mean, you talk about coming out of a four-box case, you know, 109 boxes to make a set. So uh, I definitely couldn't do a base set of National Treasures. So Yeah, it, it seems like, you know, kind of going back to what you said with some of your hits, it seems as if, and I'm completely judging the whole NASCAR collecting community, but... <clears throat> for the amount of products that come out a year, it seems as if Prime would be a better product to really focus on versus the National Treasures. Um, it's weird to me that, say, there's four or five products a year and your pack prices go from three to five to... Uh, you know, let's just say 10 for Chronicles, and then the next one's $400. You know, it seems that they are really missing um, a huge section of the collecting audience, and it, it's, that's just a huge jump. Um, so to me, it's either bring back Prime or and keep National Treasures, or just bring back Prime and get rid of National and Treasures. But at the same time, NT's been around for so long now, um, it's not something they're going to get rid of. You know, and this is on, this is my two cents, of course, but it's just that huge jump from $10 a pack to $400. Uh, seems a little crazy for a sport with such a limited amount of stuff to choose from. Yeah, and I mean, people I seem think, to like the prime patches. I mean, so I don't think I'm too far off, but, you know. Yeah, I don't know what on the back end, you know, Panini making it, what what they need to make the the line successful. But, you know, they did National Treasures, I think, in 16 and 17. Then they did two years of prime. And I think the price point for it was, what, 200 250 no, Prime was a hundred dollars a box, but it was like three cards or something. Mm, I I think it was it was more cards than three. Um, well, you know, but, any, but it, was, it was like three, four, five. Something. It wasn't crazy. It wasn't like twelve or anything like that. 
Yeah. Um, but to your point, it wasn't a 400-hour hit um, at, like, National Treasures. And then that hit and miss. And I guess people that are buying that, you know, they, they can um, – they're, they're looking for that. And, again, you know, we talk about NASCAR collectors are primary driver collectors. So, you know, the, the box could be all over the road and right. you might not get any of your driver. But you're either opening it and then hoping to get something and then trading – for somebody that, right. you know, they've opened and, and that you, because NASCAR community is kind of tight and that nuts group is amazing where they know who likes what and so they'll, they'll trade back and forth or, you know, if they need to add cash or not. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's a product that I'm not, um, that's not in my wheelhouse. So, but it was, it was fun to open. And then one of the last things I was going to talk about today was some of the prices. I know 2020 was quite interesting for trading cards, and we've seen a little bit of NASCAR uh, accelerating a little bit, not to the likes of the other sports, but we talked last time about the 1972 STP, STP Petty that was on eBay, and we were curious to see where it ended up. Uh, I think it ended up at over a little over $1,200 for that ungraded raw card, which which really kind of I was very shocked at. Um, I'm not saying it's not worth it, but it was you know usually uh, I've seen them go for 120 bucks you know years ago, you know all the way up to this now. So and then the one that really caught me that. That was in the beginning of November. And then in the beginning of December, there was a PSA authenticated, signed uh, with the R Petty. I think it maybe was a four. Uh, it went for about $1,800. Um, you know, so some of those vintage, we, and we've talked about it, um, the 1972 set and how it was distributed and stuff like that. So uh, if you're not familiar, you can check uh, last week or the last episode, number 30, I replayed it. Um, and But there were some also, in the end of November, some looks like somebody had an STP set, and they were breaking it up and selling the individual cards. So the Petty, Bobby Allison, Benny Parsons, Fred Lorenzen, um, Dick Brooks, Dave Marcus, James Hilton. Uh, they had everything but the Fred Lorenzen kneeling next to the car. <laughs> that one is out on eBay. They wanted like $6,000 for it. So that, um, uh, and more power to them if they can get it. But um, I'll, I don't know if it's going to move at, at that price. But it, it, anyway, so there, there's these STPs come up rarely a few times a year. So it was cool to see that, but I totally missed them. Uh, I didn't find them until I did a completed sold search. So uh, I didn't even see them with my, and I know we talked about it with our saved searches. Uh, so I was happy to see that, but uh, disappointed I missed some of those. And then while I was checking some of those saved searches, I was like, well, let me look at the 83 Uno. Uh, the 20th anniversary of the passing of Dale Earnhardt Sr. is coming up. 
this Daytona. Um, but I was looking at the 83 Uno, which we talked about before, and actually I'll replay after this segment here so you can get caught up. But uh, there was a BGS 9.5 that went for $625, a complete set raw for 475 a set with some graded cards. I think it was a 9 Petty, 9 Earnhardt Sr., and a 9 Darrell Walter. And that went for 700 Now, years ago, I was selling some 9.5. They were going for like 350 375 so you can see that the Dale Earnhardt went from like that a few years ago to that 625. So that A3 Uno is a really tough set to find. Uh, so I was interested to see how the 83 Unos are doing. Yeah, 83 Unos. Now, do you think a lot of this is COVID-related like everything else is <laughs> that's going on right now with card prices and, uh, you know, box wax madness. Uh, do you think this is the same boat or is it different? You know, NASCAR is kind of sometimes on its own island, so I'm curious what your opinion is real quick. It might, it might be that folks are seeing what other sports are doing and maybe some of these NASCAR collectors are grabbing some of this while they can. You know, I, I definitely don't think people realize how hard these 72 STPs and these 83 UNOs are. I, um, you know, I think only a few hundred sets were made of the 83 UNO and then how many survived and how many graded. If you look at the pop report for some of that, you know, there's 20 or 30, you know, graded so looking at the PSA pop report for the 1983 Uno, I don't pe- think people realize how tough or how scarce they are. There's been a total of 363 cards graded for the whole set. 106 have been graded 10. When you get down to, like, the Richard Petty, only 8 10s and 29s, and that's it, so 28. Uh, there's a set, and so, you know, the second card ever for Richard Petty, and there's only been 28 graded in 9 or 10. Dale Earnhardt, there's only 14, 10, 21, 9s, and Dale Waltrip, 5, 10s, and 8, 9s, 6, 8. Only 19. So Bobby Allison's got three tens, six nines, and four eights. So probably the majority of that, those being graded are myself and Logan. I think I don't know if I talked about in the segment or not that we had done, but I got my hands on I think about 20 something sets back uh, in the 2009, 2011, maybe that range. I wish I still had all those. <laughs> but, um, you know, so the numbers are not there. It's not like the Tiger Woods or, or even if you went to the, you know, 1988 Max, the pop reports for that. So, so you know, going over to the Max, just for the Charlotte, there's been over 7,700 graded uh, in that 100-card set. 
the Heater Uno is only 30 cards, so yeah, quite, a, huge quite a big difference. Yeah. What's that? Huge difference for sure. Yeah. So like I said, with the, the, the 72 STP, there's not many there either. So, and then over on the nine, uh, 82 STP, only 85 cards have been graded for the for that. It's you know it's they're so rare to find, and then to, to find them graded, you know, hoping that you know that NASCAR is getting a second look. Maybe uh, there's definitely a lot of value there. The sets aren't very big. You can find them somewhat, so you, you have some of that chase, but. Um, again, information is hard, and that's why we're doing the podcast. So I can uh, tell everybody what I what I know. So, um, so we'll uh, follow up here with the uh, previously recorded segment for the '83 Uno and the 1985 Sports Star Photographics. And then in the next couple of weeks, we'll try to do the 1986 Sports Star Photographics set, and then we'll work our way to the 88 max and try to get a couple of these knocked out before Daytona, some of these earlier sets, let you know what what I know about it. Try to get our show out a little more regular and i um, super excited about the 2021 season. I think we just had an off season. That's all. I don't think it's a huge deal. We had an off season. There had holidays and we're just coming back around when the season's going to start. We're ready to go. Yeah, well, uh, like I said, I know everybody's a buzz at the shop getting those cars ready for Daytona. They have another, oh, I guess, another month until month, month and a week, I guess it is, until the Daytona 500. So it's going to be really exciting to get the cars back on the track and start talking more NASCAR and I'm assuming Dunruss will be coming out, and we'll next couple of weeks we'll try to get um, some more interviews on the show. Super excited about 2021. I don't know, Jason, if you have any other thoughts for today. Uh, you know, it's just it's weird because it gets to be the end of the year, end of the season, then end of the year, and now we're in January. And I saw tops posted that they're. 21 baseball design, and then it made me think, well, heck, NASCAR Don Rush should be coming around the same time. So it's like all of a sudden 2020 is over, and here we go with 21, and I'm ready to see some new stuff. Yeah, me too. I'm looking and excited for the Don Rush. I believe it's going to be the 1988 design in there. So that'll be interesting with the blue and stripes. I think it has, like, black on the corners or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one will be uh, exciting, and especially if they continue, you know, the rated rookies and all of that. And, uh, you know, it would be – I think it would be fun to see some of the insert sets, if you want to call them, from the Dawn Rust. Um, maybe they'll surprise us. I don't know. I haven't seen any sell sheets or anything for Dawn Rust yet, so um, I may be just – talking about nothing that's going to ever happen but uh i'm excited to see it you know i like i like when the flagships come out for any sport so i'm definitely ready to see these as well yeah i was looking for the sell sheet i didn't see it but uh when you when i was talking about that 
design or whatever, I was thinking the same thing. It would be nice to see some of those rated rookies um, and see who gets selected to be on the rated rookie as well. So it's, uh, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this out there, and um, if it ever happens, everybody can thank me. I would love to see the pop-ups uh, that the 88 Donruss had, some sort of set uh, for baseball, but they had pop-ups where, like, the top half of the card ended up being a cutout and the bottom was like a base. I would love to see something cool like that, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I, I do kind of somewhat remember that. Um, there actually was a uh, like a stand-up, I think it was, for NASCAR. I think it was its own separate company. I don't think it, it lasted very long, but yeah, it'd be cool to see some of those pop-ups with NASCAR. That's a good idea. Yeah, it'd be cool to see some of the old inserts, you know, and bring some of that back. So I know, you know, there's a little bit of nostalgia with that Dunrow series and, you know, being released right there at the first week in February. So I'm expecting the sell sheet pretty soon. Yeah, it kind of surprised me that it hasn't been out yet. Um, you know, at least that neither of us have seen it for sure. Yeah, sometimes, you know... They don't release that full NASCAR schedule. You know, like last year they released the Dunruss, but we didn't know what was going on, you know, and, and found out we were getting Chronicles and Prism National Treasure. So, uh, like I said, I'm going to have to reach out to Tim and see if we can get him on the show. Maybe he can uh, give our listeners some inside info on the upcoming 2021 Panini NASCAR releases. So I'm assuming they're going to do the VIP uh, Daytona thing again. So that's kind of a tip off sometimes of what product it's going to be in. So, great. All right. Well, uh, let's switch over to the 1983 Uno and 1985 Sports Star Photographics. We can uh, move into the next subject we talked. And so we were going to talk about the 1983. Uno set. Uh, this is another one of those sets a lot of people don't know about, and it was one of those sets that wasn't even really revealed until 1991, if you believe it. Um, there was an article that appeared in the October of 1991 Collector's World. So before Beckett, you had um, Racing Collectibles Price Guide that started, I believe, in December of 89, and then um, Collector's World started up little after that. And uh, there's a very interesting story where the magazine was approached by a gentleman who had these set of Uno cards. The back looks like your typical Uno playing card. I don't know if you played Uno as a kid. I know I did. A little bit. And then the front is a photo, full bleed, and it's numbered and to 30. So you had the 1970 Fleer drag strips, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, was just images of a driver in a car. And then the 1970 S72 STP, when those were just giveaways, probably very limited quantities. And so you have, until 1983, now you have this little 30-card set. And it wasn't really a mass giveaway. It wasn't like giving away at one track or like if you had a baseball game where they gave away some kind of special set. They talk about in the article is that they went and tried to approach Uno 
and find information about it. And of course, Uno didn't even know anything about it. The article mentions that. So let me stop you right way, here real quick. Go ahead. To me, it is amazing. In the job that I have now, and even in some of the previous jobs that weren't card related, I always tried to keep track of stuff, um, the dates for things, and and then even in more hobby related things, you know, when promos run or you know, like the tops and the uts chips, you know, when did that start? How long did it run? What's the checklist? It amazes me that these companies don't keep track or keep better track of a lot of the promotions or keep, you know, not like one of everything, but keep their own for, you know, maybe they want to use it later. Maybe they want to make um, a history book or maybe they want to, you know, all this it always amazes me that some of the companies that are just like, yeah, we have no record of this or we have no idea what you're talking about. And that in the article, uh, what you know, had said just shocked me. So I can understand, you know, that what you're saying, but then you have to look at, you know, the ninth, early 1980s, right? This is really before computers, personal computers anyway. And then when you get into racing, um, I can definitely see where, you have the company Uno, and they're producing the playing cards and the games and all that manufacturing, but they weren't involved in producing this set. This was probably some kind of side deal where, you know, they they have some kind of money set aside for advertising and racing, and somebody probably said to somebody, hey, you know, it would be good to have maybe some cards at maybe at one of these tracks or at a couple of these events. I've been to, you know, a couple of races with, some sponsored events and, you know, they have a little hospitality tent maybe they have some giveaways and stuff like that. But I don't think, you know, the higher up corporates would have any record of that. That's what makes these so intriguing. The fact that nobody knows anything about them. Um, we have this article that was in this magazine, but otherwise not, these magazines are out of print now. Um, I do have some of the early issues scanned in and on my site at racing card info and then there's um, like an archives and so you can read these articles and see the prices and, and the advertisements and stuff. So, you know, all this stuff is just forgotten and that's one other reason why I want to do the, do the podcast is just to get this information out. So I just think it's really cool that this was some kind of side deal and, you know, kind of like the 72 SCP, Grant and Telly getting together with Ray Mann and, it makes, and they make it happen. Um, right. I think it's done and there's no recollection. So this is kind of like the same thing. And it's going back to, um, I don't know, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of like the 32 Carmels or maybe Allen and Ginter or whatever. You know, they decided, hey, let's put baseball cards in tobacco packs. And, you right. know, people didn't know about the different packs, how that all happened. It just, you know, just happened and nobody had the vision to, to document it and this kind of stuff. But it kind of adds the intrigue about it and um, the lore of it. So the, the article mentions they tried to contact the home office and they didn't even know anything about it. And that because the stuff, I guess, wasn't on computers or whatever, they had no information about it. They would have to dig through and look at all the expenses and receipts and bills and stuff, and they weren't going to do that for, for this. So basically, the article goes on to talk about the pictures on the front of the cards and it looks like the last photos or the most recent photos were of Lake Speed and um, which was around February of 83. So it was probably produced right after the Daytona 500 in 83. So, so the, the cards were not, 
they were not produced for sale to the public, nor they were right. intended as inserts into the game or anything like that. And the regular Uno card games were printed and packaged in Belgium, and that it was too costly to print materials there, promo materials there. Now, I do know from my research and, and uh, my pursuit of these that these were, because I, I got my hands on an uncut sheet. Where's my article here? That they were produced someplace, I think, in Illinois. Uh, they were printed by T&E Lithoplate Incorporated of Detroit, Michigan. I was wrong. So that company is still in business. It would be interesting. Well, first let me ask the question and maybe the follow-up. So the date or the time frame has kind of been figured out. Has the print run ever been narrowed down? So the the like article mentions the article mentions that the gentleman who showed him the full set has a few hundred sets that that he packed right. away, along with numerous other items accumulated over the years, and that he actually offers them for sale uh, in the magazine. The name of the car, the name of the company is called Gold Cards, and they were selling them for two hundred dollars a set. And this is nineteen ninety one money. And then later I did a business search, and that gold cards is really David Chobat. And David Chobat was an award-winning NASCAR photographer, and he passed away in August of 2004. And in the summer of 2006, his estate actually started selling some of these sets on cut sheets. And then they had his images on the site, and they were saying he had over 3.5 million photographs. And that you could kind of like get the images, you could kind of, I guess, buy them and, and um, or get the rights to them or whatever it was. So there's not thousands or hundreds of thousands. These are probably hundreds, and we're talking, you know, in between 83 to whatever, how much actually survived. Now there were some sets that started to hit, re-hit the market in 2006 that I'm very familiar with because in the summer of 2006 I saw those uncut sheets start to come up on eBay. I wasn't able to um, get any of them, but I did take some screenshots of them, and there's about 15 of them. And then all of a sudden, they weren't selling them. And I think I had contacted them, asking them if they were going to list anymore, and I never heard anything back. And then so many months passed, and then there was a new seller of these cards, and they were individual cards. Um, I didn't know if they had cut them up or what, but it turns out that they had... Uh, I guess, purchased the remaining cards and uncut sheets, and then he started to sell them for a little bit of time. That's where I, I kind of started picking up my 83 Uno cards. And then once I got the complete set, I was kind of done, and then I really didn't pay much attention to it. But uh, I was contacted by a gentleman, and I did end up picking up uh, some more sets over the time. But the 83 Uno, like I said, is it's a 30-card set. It's, um, you know, the majority of the cards in it represent Uno drivers. Tim Richmond was one of them. He has the most, with 13 of 30 being Tim Richmond. Uh, Buddy Baker was also an Uno driver. He has six cards. Kyle Petty's in this. He has three cards. And I guess the reason Tim Richmond has so many is that he, I had read uh, his book, or a book that was about Tim Richmond, and that Bob Tazak, I think this is his name, he purchased the Uno card game, and he knew Tim, and he helps, or he sponsored Tim Richmond uh, in the 1980 Indy 500. Uh, that's where Tim Richmond 
he came in ninth, and uh, he was named the 1980 uh, Indianapolis 500 Rookie of the Year. Not to get off too much of a tangent, but then Tim Richmond had some accidents, and his mother threatened his father to get him out of the open wheel, and that's why Tim Richmond went into the stock car racing. And uh, so Uno continued to sponsor him in his NASCAR career. So in this 83 set, like I said, he's got uh, 13 of those 30 cards. And what's really interesting about this set is that it's the first cards of Darrell Waltrip is in it and Dale Earnhardt Sr., which I think is probably the key. Uh, Richard Petty is also in it and Bobby Allison. So it's a really great little set. Like I said, the, the, I think it's really undervalued. Uh, of course, it doesn't come up that much on eBay. You know, you're talking, I don't know what you uh, who would you be equivalent to in in baseball, Dale Earnhardt Sr. and uh, Darrell Waltrip. It's like a Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, or... Yeah, possibly. I mean, that, definitely for Earnhardt. So, I have a few questions, um, and I'm sure... Yeah, I don't know if I did that, if I did it justice or not, but I guess it uh, helped me fill in the, the holes I, I made. So, the print run, we don't really know what's granted. We're talking in the 80s, so that was before the boom in the 90s. So I would imagine the print run is, you know, like you said, on the low end. I'd be curious, you know, with this lithoplate company still in business, if anybody's ever reached out to them to see if they had any records of how much they printed. Um, you know, granted, we're talking almost 40 years later, uh, but I'd be curious to see if anybody's ever attempted to reach out just to see if, you know, if they still have a receipt copy or an invoice or, you know, whatever to see what was printed or to get the amount. Yeah, I, I thought about it, and I was like, well, yeah, having that phone conversation, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I got on Yeah, that's definitely and, an email. Know, from 1983, and uh, do you know how many guys printed? <laughs> They'd be like, what? You know what? The worst they're going to tell you is no. Maybe you get the right person, and they say, oh, yeah, I just happened to stumble across that invoice the other day. You know, but uh, it'd be interesting. You know, it's something... You know, it's happened. You know, I have uh, not Beckett's, but like those other sports price guide magazines uh, from the early 90s. And there was a company that was still active that had an ad in there for uh, a VHS of how to collect baseball cards. And there was a baseball player that was a featured athlete in it from the 70s or 80s. I cannot remember who it was, uh, but that's beside the point. I actually reached out to the company and said, hey, do you guys still sell these uh, by any chance? And they said, well, we don't, but we can make you a DVD copy if you want. You know, when we're talking, that was a 20-year-ago, 20-year-old magazine. So, you know, it's still possible that these things can be found out. Uh, like I said, maybe maybe you or I will have to reach out to this company and see uh, if they have any information. Yeah, it would be cool to kind of follow up on it. That's part of the, the fun for me uh, with, with some of this stuff and uh, like I said, some of it is from the magazine and the other is some of my things that I've learned over the years and kind of piecing puzzles together with, with reading Tim Richmond's book and, and having um, purchased a decent number of sets. And so even then, back in 2006, I think the, the guy that I had gotten some stuff said he had estimated he got about 40 or 50 sets. And then you know, that's been over 13 years ago, I guess it is now. And it's all kind of been absorbed into the hobby. I know the Dale Earnhardt Sr. is on almost everybody's wish list, uh, at least an Earnhardt Sr. collector. 
I always see that when people saying they're on their want list. And then with uh, Darrell um, Walter getting to the Hall of Fame. Right. So another question. You said you took screenshots of the uncut sheets. Do you remember how many cards were on a sheet? I mean, considering it's a 30-card set, um, and I know, I think I've seen other companies do like 100-card sheets, so like a 10 by 10. So 100 cards, you know, that would could be three and a third sets. I'm kind of curious if you remember any specifics about the uncut sheets and maybe, so you know, are there sheets with three Dale Seniors and sheets with one, you know, or were they all kind of the same? So I have... Uh, two uncut sheets. One sheet has been trimmed around the sides, so you can't see the the print information and the the you know, print alignment. So I have one yeah. with all that and one without it. <clears throat> there are 30 cards on the sheet, so it's the whole set, one to 30 actually, okay. and the, the print lines or the cut lines, I guess. So that's one thing. Is so the cards are not your normal size. They're two and three sixteenth by seven by sorry. Two and three sixteenth by three and seven sixteenth. That those are the individual card dimensions, and I got that off of the cut lines from the uncut sheet. So I think I had told you before we got on that I have some of these graded, and some of the ones, the early ones that were sold or that I got were larger, and PSA PSA uh, graded them. They didn't know what what the right size was. Um, so in, in all my years of collecting and stuff like that, I contacted PSA and actually uh, sent them a copy, a printed copy of an uncut sheet because I wanted to, because um, I liked the sheet and use it as a, kind of a poster. And if you got to my racing card info, like my banner is an image of that uncut sheet. So one set per sheet. Um, just curiosity, were they in order? Y- yes. Okay. So if you did have one, you know, be a nice little display. Yes, and I think uh, the one sheet that I got that that's trimmed, or I would say that the print information around it is gone, and it was uh, probably in a frame. So the, uh, in this the card set, there are images of maybe the driver with the car or in the car. Like the Lake Speed just kind of shows the two cars. Um, the Neil Bonnet shows him in, in victory circle. Um, like I said, there's a bunch with Tim Richmond next to the car. There's some different shots of the Uno cars um, until you get up. Um, there, like I said, with Buddy Baker and uh, Kyle Petty in the 42 and the number one car. Oh, there's Le- and then so there's Lake Speed two next kneeling next to um, the car, but you can see where the Uno is on the rear quarter panel of the car. And then when you start getting up into the higher numbers, around 19, there's some more portraits as uh, Kyle Petty and Buddy Baker, Jim Richmond, and then Richard Petty, uh, number 23, Richard Petty wins, or Richard Petty with two lovely admirers. There's some more portraits of Tim Richmond. <coughs> the Dale Earnhardt is the Dale Earnhardt, number 27. Dale Earnhardt wins Daytona qualifier, and he's in, looks like, Peter Circle before for that qualifier race. And then Darrell Walter uh, wins the Daytona qualifier. That's number 28. And then Bobby Allison is number 29. He wins the Daytona qualifier. So it's pretty interesting. So on um, some of these cards, there's the same. Uh, there's one younger kid. He's in a bunch of the photos. He must have been part of Uno or something or somebody's kid because he's in that photo with 
Darrell Waltrip, and then the photo with Bobby Allison. Okay, so I have two more two more things, and then we can wrap it up. Just a statement. For whatever reason, this set reminds me of Pro Set. You know, I know it's the Uno, and of course they have the card backs, but the front of these definitely remind me of the Pro Set cards of the 90s, um, which I always liked those designs for the most part. Uh, but, yeah, it definitely reminds me of that. And in the article, it says that they were selling for $200 whenever when was that, that they had them for sale in the 90s? Uh, 91. Okay. Yeah, 91. So what do you think a complete set would sell for now? I've seen a couple sell, I don't say a couple, maybe one or two sell in the last year. I guess it was about maybe 300 to 400 I don't know if they were trying to get 399 These were ungraded, I think. Um, I know. There are... Go ahead. Because I was just going to say, I know no. that Earnhardt graded sells for 150 200 um, So, but yeah, the, if you if the set's 400 I mean, that's a pretty pretty substantial price for, you know, a racing set when we talk about card prices all the time being so low. Uh, $400 for a set of 30 cards, you know, a 10 or $12 average per card, that's a pretty pretty nice set to have. Yeah, I think, you know, the keys definitely are the Richard Petty, because that's the second Richard Petty card, the Dale Earnhardt Sr. rookie, Daryl Walter rookie, and then the second, so Bobby Allison. But there, Tim Richmond's are really cool. He kind of, uh, he had burst on the scene, or after you ever seen Days of Thunder, it's kind of around him. Not, not to get too much off on the tangent, but he basically, uh, when he finally hooked up with um, Harry Hyde, at Hendrick, there was just this chemistry between them, and, and as you saw, like in Days of Thunder, and then he got very sick with AIDS and passed away in 1989. But he was pretty much done. 80, I think it was 87. He had a couple, and then that was it. But he was just getting uh, his 86 season was just incredible, and then uh, it was over. So, so the Tim Richmonds are you know early his first cards, and pretty much uh, he has stuff. That, in the 86 sports star photographics, but that's it. And then um, I'm actually talking about, so we, I, I mentioned the eight, 1980 Indy 500 that Tim Rich was in. I know we were talking about the Uno set, but there's an Avalon Hill set. There was an Avalon Hill game that was the Indy 500. And uh, you had the game that was the Indy, and they included cards. I don't remember the size. Maybe they were like two and a half by two and a half. But the 1980 edition has the has a Tim Richmond in it, and uh, okay, so there are sets. Yeah, that's a really cool set. We can talk about that some more one day. But I think they started in '79, and I think they ended sometime in the early '80s. But uh, you have AJ Foyt and all those other ones, uh, great indie drivers. Maybe when we talk to Ken, we can uh, talk about the Avalon Hill. I wonder if he knows about those. Yeah, that was one of those other ones that I found by looking at the Beckett Price Guide and realizing that Tim Richmond was in there and. And searching for so, but the '83 Uno set I think is a is a great set. It's a tough set to find. It doesn't have the print run that um, all the other uh, you know from '88 on the major mass produced stuff. So part of it is just trying to find it, let alone the price. So, well, hope that was informative. Hope uh, everybody learned something. We can continue on next week and talk about the 1985 Sports Star photographic stickers. That was kind of an interesting, uh, as we'll find in these next couple of sets, information is really hard to find, and we have to kind of guess at where they came from and why they were produced. So, Our last 
episode we talked about the 83 Unos, and I had mentioned the next. So we we talked about the 1970 Clear Drag Strips as one of the first ones, the 1972 SCP, the 1983 Uno, and then in 1985, uh, Sports Star Photographics stickers were produced. They were might have been produced late 84, but 95. And they were produced by um, Ray Mann, who you might remember from the 1972 STP, working with Andy Granatelli. And Ray Mann had the Racing Pictorial magazine. <clears throat> I think it was a quarterly magazine that came out with color portraits. And he produced these placemats. And I think this is what he he made a collectible placemat. I guess he thought uh, for the guy who had everything... He could have, um, while he sat down to eat, he could have, I think it was 11 by 17 laminated photo, I don't know if it's photo paper, but um, a nice graphic image of the driver and the car, and then the back had information on it. And that some people think that the stickers were used as an incentive. Maybe if you bought so many placemats, you got um, the stickers. And the stickers are kind of, mini versions of what the placemats look like. Have you ever seen any of these? They look familiar. Um, I don't think I ever realized, you know, definitely didn't realize about the placemat part, but I know I've seen them. I just never knew exactly what they were. And they they measure about two by three inches. And one of the interesting, um, and I kind of classify them as racing, Um, you know, the checklist has got Bobby Allison, Mario Andretti, he is more known for Indy, um, but he drove in, in NASCAR. Uh, A.J. Foyt, uh, same. Uh, David Pearson, Richard Petty, Al Unser Sr., Darrell Waltrip, and Cale Yarbrough. That makes up the list. Now, there's a really interesting variation, or error if you want to call it, of David Pearson. Um, they misspelled his name, uh, his first name, produced... Uh, a sticker of it, so they're kind of tough to find, and I know we talk about the NASCAR, when you talk about these early NASCAR stuff, everything before 88, 88 Max kind of um, took it to the next level, and that had your mass print runs, so all these before 1988 are very low print runs and are tough to find, Uh, and one of the ones that's like super rare is the Darrell Waltrip, I don't know why, but I had a hard time trying to find one of those. And I don't can't, I want to say the Bobby Allison might not be listed in the Becky guide, but um, there it's a nice little set, like I said, of um, stickers. And I'm always a sucker for a mini, so uh, it was right in my wheelhouse. So I want to ask a couple of questions here that you brought up. Looking at the information that you sent me, it says some people believe that these cards were a test test issue with only a thousand of each being made does that include the error and the corrected for the pearson so would that be a thousand of each or a thousand total assuming that that speculation is correct um do you think the same print run for both i i'm not sure um i can't remember where i got that information from uh probably through uh, all the years of um, looking for information um, I did see somebody had placed an uh, had an auction, and they had one that's not on this list. Uh, and I don't know where it came from, but it looked legit. 
Again, all this information is super sketchy, but like I said, if right. you go out on eBay and you look, they are they are tough to uh, find. Usually, maybe you might find a, a complete set. Some, you, sometimes you find the petty, and um, and I I've acquired them, and um, they're condition sensitive, where the edges are jagged from because they're on that sticker paper, I guess you would say. So they're not. You know, right. I want to say I was going to say that they're not a professional print run, but it it was a professional print run. I don't think you know they weren't looking when they were making these for people to you know collect them as as a collectible like a card. I think you know they were little stickers to put on your car or whatever it is, or maybe your book or something. Again, I think it, it's kind of interesting with Ray Man. He the next. Um, the year after this, he did a sports. Uh, he did a um, a bigger card, and you know he his main focus was the placemats. So these are kind of the the afterthought. And so the other thing was you mentioned that Wall Trip was a hard one to find. Any reason or any thought to that? Is it you know regional or were they all put out together? Or any thoughts on that? So when I say um, with the placemats. Uh, it was. I think I can't remember if he had advertisements in his magazine. He might have, okay. but I would imagine he would have been at all the tracks, or had vendors at, or a vendor at the track selling at the track. So they would have been run primarily through the South back at that time, the, the NASCAR schedule, and it could have been legal. You know, Darrell Waltrip was was hot that time. Okay. And it, it might have been something like that. I am not sure. I just know um, it was very, very tough to find the Walter. But I'm trying to remember. I think it took me a few years to find find one of those. And but, I'm looking on eBay, and there are two listings. One's for the um, AJ Foyt, and one's for the Yarbrough. And they're you know twelve, fifteen dollars a piece. Is that a typical price, or are some of the other ones a little bit more expensive, a little bit cheaper? You know, what have you seen as far as the price history of these? I think that's kind of in line, less than um, 20 or 10 a piece. They kind of go as like in spurts where somebody might find a group of them and then put them out there and then trying to blow through them, I guess you would say. But um, yeah, but they're not, you know, a large amount of money. I think... <clears throat> Now Walsh brought out picked up for thirty or forty bucks maybe at the time because I hadn't hadn't seen it. I'm looking at eBay. There was an auction that closed. Uh, it was eight of the cards. So it was the Andretti, Hunter, Petty, Yarbrough. Looks like the David Pearson wrong version. Yeah, it does not have the Walters. Like I said it was it was tougher. So. That was thirty-three dollars for those, and again, you know, with some of the stuff, you're not looking at condition. You're just most of the racing collectibles folks are just looking to have it as little as right. you know, maybe pass it up because, like with the Walter Bob, was just wanting it. And some of the ones I think are the ones I had are not super pristine. I have not had them graded, so as I've said before. I won't shy away from getting something autographed, so I got a, a set autographed <laughs> from all the drivers. Oh, wow. Okay. So the Andretti, I actually sent, a, I sent through the mail. Uh, that took okay. about a year. 
I think it takes a year for that one. And the answer I got it at Indy one time, I think I might have sent the AJ Foyt off as well. And then David Pearson was at the Hall of Fame. I had gotten him back then. So um, that is a set. Like I said, it, it won't break the bank. It's not a ton of cards. You know, it's not a 100-card set or anything like that. It's just, you know, the eight or nine, depending on if you want to go after the old versions of the Pearson. But um, and it's not a crazy, you know, millions of them out there. You know, uh, they pop up every now and then. And it's, uh, you know, a fun little set. So these early NASCAR sets are all pretty small between STP, the Uno, and now the uh, 85 Sports Star Photographic. So... This stuff is always way more interesting to me because, you know, when you're talking, say, Prism, for example, like, yeah, the cards are there and the autographs are there, but, you know, everybody knows everything about it, it seems like, on the day it's released. And a product like this, we're talking about, you know, 35, 40 years later, and we still don't know everything. Uh, it's It's kind of amazing to me that, you know, the limited amount of information on these sets, um you know, 40 years later, but this is the kind of stuff that I get a little bit more enjoyment out of just because it's a little, a little mystery. And, you know, I realize that not everybody's collecting 85 sports star, you know, racing cards, but it's interesting for sure. Uh, yeah, I am. Um, I had a black and that's why we're, you know, doing the podcast. This is the only place in the world, the only podcast in the world uh, that's got information on, on this, and it's um, stuff that I've learned over the last, I guess it was 2005 I started, so it's been 14 years, wow, of reading everything I can read from old um, Collector's World or um, Racing Collectibles price guides or magazine articles or, or, um, or price guide articles. It's a lot. It was a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun trying to search these things and and. Without breaking the bank, it's more about the collectible part of it, the chase, the the stuff. Uh, you know, like we're trying to build an older older set. Uh, I I think that's kind of the enjoyment of the hobby. I know you know there's different folks. The newer folks want to get the rainbows and all this other stuff. But, you know, part of the mystery and and the history behind it, and uh, it's really cool. I you know I I like it. I guess. Uh, you collect it on a budget, this is definitely a, a set to look at that uh, is not run-of-the-mill and it's got all, you know, superstars in it, so. Before I forget, I actually wanted to bring something up today um, and you kind of mentioned part of it already with Mario Andretti. Uh, so we talked in one of the episodes before about the one through the mail a little bit uh, um, and that Petty was a really good one and Andretti was a good one but there was a wait. So... <clears throat> I sent, because at the time I couldn't find anything, I sent two index cards to Richard Petty to get signed. Um, I got those back within a week or two. Uh, it was pretty quick. They were both signed um, and returned. And I want to say it was maybe around the Hall of Fame, because I remember you saying he was going to be in town and it would maybe I would maybe get him back that week or something like that, and I did. So that's yeah, they, been, um, you know, a month or two, but... I hadn't talked about it yet. And then uh, let me say about Andretti, then I'll let you say what you want to say. So Andretti, you actually said it was going to be a year, and I actually got mine back within about two months. Wow. So I got same thing with him. I didn't have anything to send that I could find. So I sent two index cards, and he actually 
did not sign the index cards. He sent two their blue Kmart cards. I figure you probably yeah. they look like eighty seven Fleer. Yeah, I think that was one of the issues he has. Yeah. Um, on the back it says nineteen ninety one. I mean, it definitely looks like an older card. Um, but like I said, blue looks like eighty seven Fleer. Maybe I'll post a picture of it up. But he actually sent two of those to me signed. Like I said, within about two months. So I was pretty happy with that. Yeah, I think if I, I think remember what that Andretti looks like. Uh, back in the early 90s, um, just like with baseball, everybody was making a set. Everybody was, you know, Indy was making stuff in NASCAR. And, and I remember in baseball, you had the unauthorized stuff. And just, it was just. Oh, it was crazy. Anything. So, um, you know, with Andretti being Andretti, um, I think he, I don't know if he was still racing or not, but I, I, I can kind of see that uh, card in my um, in my mind here. And Andretti's got a nice autograph. And then Richard Petty. Uh, oh, and so before we talk about Petty autograph, what I was saying in May before the Coke 600, the teams have fan days and they're there to sign. And I think Richard Richard's really good about signing. And I kind of knew they have a Petty Fest or something like that they call it. And he'd be there to sign. So, but he has an amazing autograph. To be the pinnacle, the Babe Ruth of racing with seven championships and 200 wins. And then we talked about Pearson. He's got 105, I think, as number two. So 94 more wins. And then, you know, his autograph is just a work of art. Yeah, actually, I think we did talk about it already a while ago. But it seems like it has never changed. Yeah, he, he had... For a stint there in the eighties, it was R. Petty, okay. and then uh, and then he changed it back. I see uh, online. I see some autographs. So if you see an autograph that looks like the current one, but it's just R. Petty, you know, you're looking for the loops and stuff. Then it's kind of the real deal. So he just signed so much stuff. Well, that was the 1983 Uno and 1985 Sports Star Photographics segment. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, thank you, Jason, as well. And, and any parting words? Well, for me and Jason, thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will catch you next week.